The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Thursday night. Trav, how are you, buddy? Doing well, doing well. Just trying to survive the uh, the January freeze out. It has been brutal. It's terrible. Just relentless. And it's not like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's going away. No, not at all. And, it, uh, and that, it's not that's... like it's warmer during the day and then it gets cold. It's just fucking terrible. I've been looking at two feet of snow and a layer of ice on the streets of my neighborhood uh, for pretty much what feels like two weeks straight now, and uh, it has not been good times. And it is not going anywhere. No, but uh, I have to say, you surprised me a little bit yesterday. How's that? Well, we were texting, deciding what we were going to do for the pod for this week when we wanted to record, and we settled on doing this tonight, and I said, all right, what do we want to talk about? And you said you wanted to go Maybe about- for the. 80% Browns, time in history. because, and I quote, Browns are actually interesting to talk about right now. So I, it's, we've been doing this for what, just over two years now. This yes. is the first time. All right. So what has piqued your interest? There, there are all sorts of different Browns topics that we can get into. I want to know what specifically has uh, stirred you to the point that you actually want to lead off with the Browns here by choice. Oh man, where do I start? Um, let's start with front office. <clears throat> All right. Okay. So they've clearly made a, a drastic change from the the analytics that that was done a while ago, and they've done into they've gone into the um the John Dorsey era, and that happened a few weeks ago. But we didn't really talk about it too much. A little bit, um, not a ton. A little, a little bit. But now that the season is over and it's draft season, this becomes a lot more interesting to talk about, I think. Okay. So we know the Browns are drafting one in four. Previously, we, you know, we've sort of been in asset collection mode over the last couple of years, just building up as many picks as we could get. It's the general consensus seems to be, all right, we're in the time to start using all these picks. Where do you stand on that? In terms of, do I want them to actually use the picks, or do, you, <laughs> do, do <laughs> that you, hasn't do been you, a given? Obviously, so it, it hasn't been a given. Um, I think everyone is generally in agreement that they that with number one, they need to decide which of these quarterbacks they want, and that needs to be the way that they go. It seems like I don't know that anyone really disagrees with that. Um, it sort of seems like a no-brainer. Is it too obvious, or do you think that's a gimme at this point? The only way that I think you would not draft a quarterback number one overall at this point is if you can find a way to get Kirk Cousins here. Because he's the one guy that I think is going to be on the market that would have franchise quarterback capabilities, whereas everybody else, I think, any other veteran that's going to be on the market, all these, you know, the three different Vikings quarterbacks are all going to be available in free agency. We've seen Tyrod Taylor's name out of Buffalo floated around out there because they haven't seemed exactly high on him up there, although he did get them to the playoffs. Um, and Pause. Know. Pause for a second. Yes. Sean McDonough should be fired. 
Like oh. he is so close. Like he he should have cost his team a playoff. A playoff bid this year, right? With that oh, ridiculous Sean McVay. move in the no, isn't what's McDonough the coach of the Bills? No, Sean McDonough is the Monday Night Football announcer. Who the hell is the coach of the Bills, and why did I think Sean McDonough? <laughs> what is his name? I have no idea why that just popped in my head. <laughs> Sean McDermott. All right, I was not. I was not far off. Oh, McVay's okay. the Rams coach. I'm sorry. Sean McVay is the Rams. Okay, Sean McDermott should be fired, right? Oh, for for the Peterman uh, imbroglio, absolutely. If not for a, <laughs> if not for a Andy Dalton last second comeback, he is a game out of the playoffs, and all this hysteria never happens. Like he backs in, and the way that they backed in makes that baffling move that he made in the middle of the season that much more ridiculous. It was so bad start. that Sean McDonough should have been fired from ESPN. Sean McDonough, should, anybody Sean Mick, you're out. Don't care where you work, you're gone. Yeah, except Sean McVay. I, I take that back. He, he's uh, he's had a hell of a year yeah, out in Los Angeles. Yeah. The exception that proves the rule. Uh, he's yeah. gotten a lot of credit for this, and he deserves quite a bit. But maybe, the, maybe one of the dumbest moves we've ever seen very well could have cost them, you know, their playoff bid this year. I've I've seen some people talk about that though, and and the prevailing thought in the, the counter argument to that is that that was a game they were going to lose anyway. So you throw Peter into the wolves, so to speak, get everybody riled up, and get the team to rally around Tyrod Taylor, and then bring him back, and now all of a sudden he's the conquering hero that rallies the team to the playoffs. But that's that's a pretty big roll of the dice. Yeah, how are you gonna how are you gonna say that's a game you're gonna lose anyways? I don't know, but it was the Chargers. It's not like it was. It's not like it was. You know, the advanced the metrics would tell you that the Chargers are probably the third best team in the AFC this year. But okay. I, 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 they're okay. But if you think you're in the playoff hunt, you're not conceding that game. No, it's. Uh, I don't know. This. <laughs> It's one of those things I feel like it's getting brushed under the rug. Like he did a great job overcoming that. Well, I think the bills are going to get, I think the bills are going to get brushed under the rug by the Jags this weekend. So um, back to the Browns. Sorry. Uh, Yes. Continue. Yeah. Just to kind of get back to what I was saying. I I think that out of all those quarterbacks that could be available, unless you can pull some miracle to engineer a trade or something for Andrew Luck. Um, or, I don't know, maybe Tom Brady, because apparently ESPN's got a story that's dropping tomorrow morning about how yeah, New, New England's about to implode. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like Kirk Cousins is the only guy that would be franchise-worthy. So, yeah, you're, you're probably drafting a quarterback at number one overall. And um, whereas in past years, I think we would have seen the Browns front office tempted to be trading down and trying to stockpile picks. Uh, I don't really feel like you need to be doing that anymore. If anything, I would be drafting at four and I would be taking some of the other picks that they have because I think they've got more than they know what to do with. Uh, I would be trying to package picks to be moving up um, and start, you know, shift the philosophy to quality instead of quantity. I don't. I think we've seen over the last few years just bringing in 10 or 12 or even more than that, you know, rookies, 
Uh, this roster is young enough with with guys. We need impact players at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, they need talented players. They don't just need to get as many bodies as they can. They got enough of those. Um, I'm with you on that front. I wouldn't be surprised if they they uh, traded down slightly from that four pick because um, I wouldn't be surprised if a team like the Jets or someone wants to jump up, get ahead of Denver, and take one of the other quarterbacks that's left over. Um, that wouldn't shock me. And at that point, you're only going to drop two spots, you know, and you can still probably get one of the two guys that you wanted at that spot. So I think there's a lot of potential there. I don't want them dropping down to like 20 or making like an extreme drop, you know. So personally, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's time to start getting talented players in here. Um, I think the the asset uh, building mode is it should be over with at this point. Yeah, it was kind of the the shift that the Cavs tried to go through in the post LeBron era after 2010. I mean, the Chris Grant's run as GM of the team was basically all asset collection and could never really flip the switch over. And he got sent packing and David Griffin came in and made a couple of minor moves to finish out that last year before LeBron came back. And then their whole plan, you know, obviously went into overdrive when, when we found out LeBron was returning but uh, yeah, that's uh, th- there's definitely a decided shift in the, the rebuild uh, mode and, and, and what part of that process you're in. And, um, you know, we, we heard this was going to be a long rebuild no matter who was running it. And I think just by force now it, it absolutely has to be just because of uh, the extreme nature to which this roster was torn down um, and just cleared of any veterans and um you know, stockpiling draft picks to an extreme degree. So I, I don't know what function it would serve to go even further down at this point. I mean, you're 0-16, you're 1-31 over the last two years, and, you know, you're basically uh, you know, stockpiling on draft picks for, you know, this year and beyond. So Yeah, and I think the difference between the two, uh, the two minds, I'm not going to call – I know Sashi wasn't technically the GM um, – Sashi, he'll take a lot of shit for them losing a ton of games while he was there, but he did his job pretty masterfully. Um, oh. If indeed his job was to build as many assets, accumulate as many assets as possible to completely tear it down and, you know, get get them ready for the time to make a, like a, a really aggressive move. Even if that... I'm not sure. I'm not sure he did that with the mindset that he would be out on his ass when that point came, but, but, um, the position they're in right now, the fact that they were able to get, to get a guy like John Dorsey, I think points to the position that Sashi put them in. All right. I got to stop you there because even if what you are saying is true, um, I still think he, the, the Browns were, 130% 130% justified in moving on from him when they did. Don't disagree with you. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Because I think what he did, I think what he did was put them in the position where they're at now. I don't think he's the guy to pick the ball up at this point and keep running with it. That's what I, I was he did what he, I think he did what the job that he was tasked with of tearing them down at least at first is one that like his style and you know his strengths play to. 
now that it's time to actually use those picks, I don't think it's a role he should have. Right, because I was going to say, the players that we've seen him bring into this point um, don't really instill a lot of confidence that he is going to be the guy you want spending the war chest that you've built up now. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I'm are are you shocked then that uh Hugh is going to apparently stick around? Honestly, no. I'm not. And I've I've had this discussion with more people than I can count. Um I'm probably I feel like I'm the only person that still thinks it's okay to have Hugh Jackson. Um, and truthfully, I can't even really come up with a good reason why. It's it's hard to justify one in thirty one because honestly, no matter how bad your players are, that record a lot of that is on a coach. No matter what sort, no matter what your roster looks like, um, a lot of that blame goes on a coach. How much I don't know. It doesn't really matter enough that most of the time that person should be fired. Um, the only thing I can I can well I guess not the only thing but. My hunch is that he – and there's rumors out there that he has a uh, has a poison pill thing in his contract where it just wouldn't be feasible for the Browns to fire him before a certain point. Um, oh, I haven't heard that. Knows. Yeah, some people were saying he has a poison pill in there for, two, I think, two years after he got hired, which would be a couple weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, other people have said three full seasons. I don't know what it is. Nobody nobody actually knows. They're all just kind of guessing. But it wouldn't surprise me if he said, you know what, if you're going to stick me with this regime doing it this way, you have to completely disregard the record. It's I, I don't know why an owner would buy on to that. But at the time, remember, Hugh Jackson was a pretty hot name, and the Browns were not getting you know, prime coaching candidates. So it might have just been part of the agreement they had to get him here in the first place. I, I've not heard that poison pill theory. It's a good conspiracy theory. I, I, I love it. Um, from the it's amuse- not really a conspiracy. There's always crazy shit in these contracts. I guess. It's I've never heard of that before, though. That's uh, That would be fascinating if that ends up being true. But, um, man, I, the thing I'll say is this. I, I, I'm probably going to echo what a lot of other people have already said. I this is not all his fault, but I have grown increasingly aggravated and annoyed with the press conferences we've gotten where he is seemingly working overtime to project this idea that he's a victim of this. I'm not saying he's the sole perpetrator, but this is partially his fault. There his are, hands aren't clean. His hands are not clean. And there, there are games that could have been won. Um, I, I think you look at the way that the quarterback situation has been handled. And, you know, maybe he hasn't necessarily been handed the exact roster of quarterbacks that he would have wanted to be working with. But the guys that he has had here, I don't, I, I can't say that I have a ton of confidence that, that's going to be the guy in charge of overseeing the development of whoever we bring in this offseason. And you're bringing in at least one quarterback, probably two. Um, and, you know, he just, the losses just continue to pile up. And, and we hear these quotes like, you know, uh, you know, basically that we should more or less, I mean, 
he's implying that we should be thankful that he hasn't walked away from the job and I'm the only one that could do this. And I got to give a lot of credit to Doug LaMaurice of the, uh, the plain dealer at cleveland.com. I think it was the day after the season. Is that who asked him why he keeps yeah, he, framing himself like a victim? I heard the question. I didn't know who it was. Yeah. The, the column that he wrote out of that press conference on Monday was awesome. Um, it was just really straightforward. And, and you know, I, I think, yeah, there was this whole, uh, thing that came up a, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, you know, Hugh Jackson had said last year, if I go one and 15 again, I'll jump in the lake. And you know, there's this whole uprising on Twitter, calling out the beat writers to be like, all right, who's going to ask him? Like, all right, are you going to jump in the lake now? And just for obvious reasons, they were not going to ask that. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to, to hear the questions that Labarice asked and just kind of the way he went about it, because I felt like, you know, there's a really fine line between grandstanding at a press conference and to, you know, kind of draw attention and, and make a spectacle and asking some really tough but fair questions. And I felt like he played fair there, but also really kind of called out some of the bullshit that we've been getting. Um, so, yeah, I... Um, I don't know. And just kind of while I'm on the, the run here of interesting things I've read, it, uh, our, our good buddy Craig from Wing for Next Year wrote a, a piece this week talking about, you know, is Hugh Jackson keeping his job because of the ghost of Rob Chudzinski? And the whole premise was basically that the Browns' uh, ownership has got such a stain on their reputation for dumping coaches prematurely and dumping them too soon and who are you ever going to get to want to come here if you did it yet again? And if even if it's wrongheaded um, and nobody would blame you for parting ways with the coach that's gone one in 31, they're so scarred by the backlash of past experiences, especially with Chud getting uh, whacked after one year, that uh, it's kind of played a part in you getting year three. Yeah, and we have we said that when he got hired, though. We said, hey, if this isn't good for a couple of years, you can't just go fire everybody. Like, we've, we've said that pretty ex- consistently, or at least I have, and I assume you probably have thought the same thing. Like, this constant turnover is a huge part of the problem. And there's some validity to that, but consistency for consistency's sake also, you know, can just destroy any progress you're trying to make. So that's, and that's kind of what I feel like is happening here. It's very, it's entirely possible. That's the problem though. Like you don't know, you, but you can watch and let's be honest. There's been a lot of, not a lot, a handful, quite a few times this year where not even just necessarily development or coaching or anything like that, but just like in-game decisions, you were like, where the hell is this? What the hell is this guy doing? Like this head coach has no clue what's going on. Um, so hopefully bringing in an offensive coordinator fixes that. Hopefully it's not the fucking guy from Cincinnati that they ran out of town. Um, a near mutiny, I believe was the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know what the deal is there. It sounds like they are going to hire one, which is good. Um, who By the knows way, who it'll be, but speaking of Cincinnati, on a scale of one to ten, how shocked are you that Marvin Lewis is somehow coming back for two more years? I was stunned when I saw that come out. 
Um, we'd heard all these different scenarios about how he's just going to resign and Hugh's going to take a spot or he's going to go into the front office. They're going to find a new coach could be Hugh for whatever reason. Um, no one even seemed to be discussing the idea that he could be coming back. Oh, it seemed like it a was, foregone well, conclusion. He, he's not going to be doing this anymore. What is he going to be doing? Right. Um, the fact that they're like, yeah, we'll do him for two more years. Why not? Uh, pretty stunning. So I, I so, don't know. I don't know what to think. Is that just long enough for him to basically hold down the fort uh, long enough that he finally – loses his job in Cleveland and can be brought back to Cincinnati as a coordinator for, I don't know, one year and get groomed to take over the job down there just later than we had expected. I'm not sure they'd even bother grooming him. They might. I mean, if he got fired next year, um, maybe Marvin does move into a front office job and gives hit, give the head coaching job to Hugh. And that was just delayed a year. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll find out. I don't know. I feel like that's a semi-attractive job, though. Cincinnati, mm. they're in a pretty good spot. They're pretty. They're still fairly young. Like, I know Dalton takes a lot of shit, but he's still only what twenty-seven, twenty-eight. He's not that old. Um, they've got pretty decent talent on there. Um, they were really good not that long ago. Um, so it, it seems like a job where you could probably pull in a pretty good head coach. Um, so why they would be so, you know, already convinced to go with Hugh, I'm not sure why, but if they want him, um, I'll drive him down there. I was convinced for the longest time after uh, Sashi was let go, but Hugh, you know, they, they announced that Hugh was coming back. I, I was convinced, and I said it that day, that I would not, believe that he was actually coming back for 2018 until he showed up for the first day of training camp next summer. Um, but I mean, now that we're hearing them, you know, interviewing uh, assistants and, and it seems pretty real. Seems that, pretty, pretty set in stone. Yeah. yeah I, I really thought that was all posturing to try to, you know, they, they knew that Cincinnati was interested in him and we're just trying to do some sort of crazy posturing to finesse a draft pick out of in return to, to send him down there. But, uh, no, I, 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 this is this is happening. Um, I think a big part of why they're keeping him, and this is probably not the best reason, but as we've never, it's been what probably Butch Davis is the last coach the Browns got that had any sort of demand and was anywhere near the top of their list. I think it's hard for them to just walk away from that when they know that the roster concerns are real, like those are valid. Um, the team's really bad. Obviously, it's not just coaching. Um, and they maybe want to see what he looks like with more talent. So, All right, let me ask you this. And I think you, you might be onto something there because, I mean, we saw Jimmy Haslam talking after the game on Sunday. And the first thing that he said in terms of why they were going to stick with you going into next year was, um, you know, he – how highly regarded he was coming in and he I think he hadn't lost that magic since then uh, although I think it's pretty alarming that he was citing Hughes play calling abilities as if that's all he needs to be worrying about as a head coach I think there's so much more to that job that uh, just because he was a good play caller somewhere else I don't you know we've seen him fail miserably in every other aspect of the job since then oh, oh he was a good play caller as an assistant somewhere else that doesn't exactly put me at ease but um 
No, just kind of get back to it here. My, my question to you is you said, okay, maybe this isn't the best reason to keep him. And, you know, I said, you know, there's the concern over the stigma of being the ownership group that fires uh, a coach every other year. And that's not a good reason to keep him. What actually is the best reason to keep Hugh Jackson for 2018? Um, what do I think is the best reason? Yep. That's, that's a hell of a question. <laughs> um, cause I've, I've like I, I said a minute ago, like I am good with them keeping him and I cannot give you a reason why. Uh, um, and it is it really is just a matter of consistency you don't i think i honestly think they're in a place right now where they're pretty young obviously they're very young um they're gonna have another quarterback coming in um they're gonna have you know a a couple probably young high promising draft picks coming in and i don't think you want to keep turning that over um being that they are going to get a new quarterback, maybe that's even better reason to make the move now as opposed to in a year or two. But I think with where they're at, it's okay to be, to just be, I don't even want to call it stable because stable implies that you're, you know, in decent shape. Um, (laughs) But that's really all I can come up with is just because I'm sick of firing and re and rehiring every other year um and that's really all i got (laughs) and that's and like i said that's not a good reason i don't know i don't know how many other coaches are are taking this job so there's there's some concern there like you never want to keep a guy just because you can't do better but that was the other thing i was starting to wonder is if you know we had heard rumors that there could be up to 10 or 11 openings this year and a lot more attractive situations than what you've got here in cleveland and if there was some concern, that might be part of it. Yeah. Although, as it turned out, I think there are only five openings. So, which is still a not insignificant number, but not nearly the doomsday Black Monday that we thought was coming. So, I don't know. Um, do we do we want to talk about the parade? We can touch on it, I guess. Um, before we move on to the parade. Yes. Really quickly, we, we discussed draft. What do you who do you have a preference in quarterback that you want them to take? It's okay if not, because I think there's I don't know, I think there's there's a couple that I think are bas- basically it's between it's between Rosen and Darnold, right? The thing with Rosen that scares me is the concussion history and the, yeah. the injury history, especially it's just the more we know about head injuries and CTE and, and things like that. And the dangers of concussions, a guy already coming into the league with a concussion history kind of scares me. It's not like we're going to suddenly make that less of an issue. So, um, I don't know. I I think skills wise, sure. He looks great. And, and, you know, he throws a beautiful ball, but, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of the one red flag to me. Uh, I, I liked, Darnold a lot before I watched him against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, and I know you're not supposed to be basing your QB evaluations based on one game. Um, and Ohio State's defense looked awesome, but yeah, he got sacked eight times. Yeah, um, 
So and his offensive line was terrible. Yeah. He's running for his life the whole game. I'm not I'm not going to stump too much for him. But regardless of which one you want, they have to sign a veteran to start next year, right? Yes. They have to. Even if it's just Ryan Fitzpatrick or McCown again, anybody, even someone like that, like you can't, whoever you draft cannot be your starter. Right. You, yeah, I, you cannot go into a, another year. I, correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a quarterback on the Browns roster right now that has won an NFL game, right? That is correct. Yeah. That, that can't happen. You cannot have that uh, situation repeating itself going into next year. Um, and any literally any name you could throw out there, if they've been in the league, I, I if, they're the, if they're in their mid thirties and they got a few starts under their belt, like go get them. I'll, right? I'll be willing to at least listen. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so glad we agree on that. I just want to. I, I think that's pretty unanimous, and I think Dorsey. I know one of the names that people are throwing out is Alex Smith. I don't think Alex Smith is ready to be a stopgap. That's going to be an interesting situation because obviously his time is limited in Kansas City. I mean, they there's going to be, but there's I think there's good teams that would want him. They're pretty close to winning now. I think there's teams out there that would want him. Yeah. Well, you also got to wonder how much sand is left in the hourglass for him with the Chiefs. I mean, they drafted Mahomes, but are they're still in a position where they could win now? I mean, they're going yeah. to the playoffs this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so why are they going to be in a big hurry to turn over their their team? to Mahomes full-time, so uh, they might not be ready to part with him yet. Um, yeah, and he's still got one year left, so he'd have to be a trade. Right. Um, if, I I'm mean, believe me, if, yeah, if, if you. you could find a way to bring him in, I'd yeah, I do that yesterday. Feasible. Yeah, I just don't think it's feasible. No. Um, I mean, that's, you know, like Eli Manning would be, I think, another guy kind of along the same lines, he's, although he's got he's a better resume. He's going to Jacksonville, right? Um... That would be interesting. Reunite with Coughlin. Coughlin, yeah. I was going to say, I, to win right now. I thought it would be interesting to see him in Denver, um, be the basically follow the the Peyton Manning route. But yeah. sounds like that's not happening. So, um, yeah, the, Jacksonville would make some sense, but uh, yeah, it would be weird to see him in another uniform, no matter what team it is. Yep, hundred percent. But we said that about Peyton too, right? That's um, true. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be. Uh... It'll be interesting. I don't think they're going to be able to get one of those guys that's like an established starter with uh, you know a lot of wins under his under his belt. It's going to have to. I think it's going to, have to be one of those journeyman type veterans guys who's you know is he's only got a couple years left and he knows he's not the quarterback of the future for anybody, um, and just kind of wants to maybe coach a guy, teach a guy how to play, and you know cash a couple checks. Which is yeah. fine. Whatever. I, those guys are out there. You just need to find one. Back to the potential draft prospects, and we're going to have a lot of time to dive into this between now and the yeah. end of April. Um, but just kind of at a high level, I've, I've been really intrigued by Baker Mayfield. Um, I think he's an interesting guy. I had a lot of fun watching him for about three and a half quarters in the Rose Bowl um, before Oklahoma's play calling just completely went to shit for the last half of the fourth quarter and the two overtimes. Um what did you make of that, by the way? That that game, I just thought, was super interesting. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Oklahoma gets out to the big lead. and um, You know, Georgia gets back into it. Much, 
that yeah, I'm not goes putting back too and much forth. of the loss. Yeah, I'm not putting too much of it on Baker, honestly. No, neither um, am I, which is why it was so frustrating because I really wanted to see him play another game against top competition. Um, I, and I was really bummed out. I, I really felt like the play calling there let him down. I mean, some of these gimmick plays that they were running and just some of the, you know, they had the uh, fourth and a yard that, you know, he had a shot to keep the ball and win the game in regulation and they punted it away, which I guess probably on paper makes a lot of sense. But, um, you know, that compounded with all the other decisions that they made in crunch time there. It just, it really felt like they, they took the game out of his hands. Yeah, oh yeah. Especially in overtime. Um, to, but full disclosure, they were running the ball really well. So that's not, it's ne- it's not necessarily a terrible, um, terrible decision but i don't know i thought in overtime they needed they needed a little more out of him and they needed to trust him a little bit more they kind of seemed to be playing for field goals in uh both overtime periods um i kind of thought kicking that field goal on fourth and one was stupid i thought they should have run it um or tried to go for it. i thought they should have go, gone for it um yeah it's a bummer because he you know he's the best player in college all year and you kind of thought at that point in the game, he needs to be the one making plays for you. And they did, like you said, they took the ball out of his hands. And and fair or not, I mean, like I said, the running backs, uh, the one guy whose name escapes me, had a hell of a game. It seemed like he was breaking off big plays every, every at least once a drive. Um, but Georgia was shutting that down at that point. And I think their offensive line, I think Oklahoma's offensive line just got worn down. And at that point, you needed to kind of identify, hey, we're not getting chunk yards anymore we got to get a little more creative here um unfortunately lincoln riley didn't do it do you uh do you have any quick thoughts on what we're going to see in the national championship game on monday i think it's going to be really low scoring honestly um i think georgia's i think georgia probably has the edge because i think their defense their defense might be a shade behind alabama's overall i think their offense can be considerably more dynamic. Um, I don't have a strong lean one way or another. I think I know that Bama's the favorite, um, but based on what I saw on New Year's Day, I'd, I'd be very concerned if I was Alabama. I think Georgia is. I think Georgia is more likely to put up enough points. I'm. I'm going to be pulling hard for Georgia. Uh, I have a former coworker who went to Georgia and is a diehard fan. Um, so for her, Usually if nobody that's else. Reason I, enough to root against them. What's that? Usually that's reason enough to root against them. No, but no. She's in this case. I understand. <laughs> she was a good friend. Uh, the, I, um, I, I, I'd like to see her team win. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, that coupled with the fact that Alabama is very easy to root against. So um, that really made the decision pretty easy for me, but uh, I don't know the Alabama defense that we saw in the sugar bowl was not the defense that we saw from them. I felt like in a lot of those games down the stretch where they were dinged up, they looked a lot healthier. They looked a lot more overwhelming and obviously Kelly Bryant is not Deshaun Watson at quarterback for Clemson, but, uh, that looked like a, a real Bama defense um, and Georgia's history in quote unquote, the big game, whether it's been SEC title games or big regular season games with Alabama 
or um, you know other bowl games. I, I, they they've had a, uh, a a tortured history, I think, at times. So uh, I don't have a real great feeling about uh, uh, their chances on Monday, but um, we'll see. Uh, their running game with those two running backs uh, going up against the Bama defense, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, Bama's going to have their hands full. Um, I think probably, I mean, yeah, easy to say, probably the best team they played all year. Um, I know that Georgia and Auburn split during the season, but I think over the course of the year, Georgia was pretty consistent, uh, consistently really good. Auburn was a little up and down, obviously. Um, I think it's 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 the best. I don't know how to say it because I'm kind of I'm still somewhat annoyed that probably the third best conference in the country got two teams in the playoff. Um, but I have a thought on that. There. But go ahead. That's neither here nor there. Um, I think it'll be a good game. I'm not I'm not comfortable saying that the winner of the game is the best team in the country still, um, which is a flaw. But overall, it should be a pretty good game whatever i don't want bama to win another one obviously just because i'm kind of sick of them in general um but beyond that that's that's kind of it i think it'll be pretty close and probably fairly low scoring no i I, what i was gonna say there is that you know i I think coming into the bowls we kind of felt like the big 10 was the best conference because it was the deepest and the sec was not nearly what it had been because they had a couple of really good teams at the top and nothing on their roster after that. And I feel like the Bulls kind of proved that out. Um, the two really good teams from the SEC won their bowl games and they're going to go play the national championship game now and the entire rest of their conference for the most part shit the bed. Whereas the Big Ten had a near perfect run through their bowl games, save for Michigan. So And they played some tough teams. It wasn't like they were, you know, drawing a bunch of garbage. They were pulling, uh, like number two, number three ranked teams in their conference. So it was, it was decent matchups. It wasn't just, they earned the record. Let's say that. Yeah, I mean, Ohio state, or I'm sorry, Ohio state, Penn state and Wisconsin. I mean, the, the new year six, Ohio state won half of the new year six bowl games. Yeah. Big 10. Yeah. Um, big 10. I, I don't know why I keep saying that, but yeah, you, you know, the big 10 won half of the new year six new bowl year games. Six. Yeah, and so they earned they earned the record. It wasn't just sort of like fluky matchups. Um, but what were you going to say? You you had more to that. No, I was just basically saying. I, I think we said going in the Big Ten was deep and the SEC was top heavy, and the Bulls kind of proved that, you know. And if I mean, I think it kind of sucks for the Big Ten that, um, in a way, it kind of cannibalized itself a little bit, I guess. Whereas the SEC, I think. Uh, kind of got away with not having a very deep conference this year, but um, I don't know. I, I, I think Monday will be a fun game. I think it'll be interesting. Um, I sure as hell hope it's more interesting to watch than the last time we had an all-SEC uh, uh, national championship game. That LSU-Alabama game was awful. It was that about six or seven years ago? But um, we'll see what happens. All right. Parade. Yes. Your thoughts. The parade. <sighs> Is it fair to just say who cares? Like, I, 
the one thing I don't understand is the people that are so like violently passionate against it. Like That's it's a... this huge black eye on the city. I don't think it's a good look. I'm I don't not think it's a bad look. I don't think anybody cares. A bunch of people are getting together to make fun of their team. Sucks. Who cares? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Go to like, the Muni lot. That's what I'm doing at the Muni lot every Sunday. I I wouldn't be caught dead going to this thing. Um, Fuck no, it's gonna be five degrees. Right. I'm not even. I'm not even leaving the house. <laughs> Neither am I. But no, um, no. I, I mean, I, I think my thing with this more than anything else is, uh, it's just kind of a a sad commentary that 18 months ago we were having a real championship parade down there. And now you've got this clown show happening. And, and the thought that I can't get away from on this is that I feel like this whole thing started with a few people having a conversation saying, wouldn't it be funny if... Oh, 100%. And the joke just got taken past the point of return. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's like somebody's bluff has been called. And it's like, you actually have to go through with this because the, the assholes went and lost every game. And... Now this thing actually has, now they got to go through. They got to, they got to make this thing happen. Uh, I don't, I, I saw, I guess Rover from WMMS is going to be the grand marshal. Um, which by the way, I'm a little surprised that iHeartMedia would be okay with that. Just because I know that they're not in business with the Browns anymore, but I mean, they were the Browns flagship for a long time. And if you ever want to get back into business with the Browns, sending the face of your FM programming out to be the grand marshal of this shit show seems like kind of a bad look. I don't know. Eh. I mean, it's one of those it's one of those guys you kind of just explain away. Like he's, I guess. He's kind of just, I, I don't mean, know if anybody's going to do it. It would be just, him, but yeah. I, um, but I'll say this: like people. I think it's kind of silly, honestly, to compare this to the Cavs parade. Yes, it's sad that our basketball team was really good, is really good still, um, and we have this dumpster fire of a football team. Um, I don't. There's going to be a couple, couple thousand people max that are really just going to go down there with some signs and some goofy shit, and basically say, "Get your shit together, you guys suck." Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. Okay, you're they're, they're protesting. What the hell are you protesting? Like, do you think somebody's sitting up in mahogany-drenched offices right now saying, like, oh, you know, we're, we're fine. It's not that bad. Oh, there's some people out there really pissed off. Maybe we ought to start trying now. Like, b- believe me, I I know that the Browns have been horrible, but it, they've it's not for a lack of effort. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I think... I, I don't know, man. I mean... It, after sitting through that season, if you want to get together, make fun of your team a little bit, I don't think it's a protest. I don't think it's a parade. I don't think it's any of this shit. I think it's just a joke. And if some people want to get together, make fun of their team, probably get a little sauced up, uh, make some stupid signs, and joke around about it, who cares? Like, I'm not passionate one way or another. Like you said, not going under any circumstances. No interest whatsoever. But the people that say like, oh, this is, you know, makes some people, someone was saying online, like, it's going to keep free agents from coming here. No. Bullshit. Free agents aren't coming here now. And the ones that are, are coming for the money and they'll come for the money tomorrow. Right. Like, they don't give a shit. Come on. Um, And then there's people that say, well, they always show that, that LeBron jersey burning and make fun of us for that. You know why they make fun of us for it? 
because we're kicking their asses now. Yeah, I they're going to come back if we're winning in three or four years and someone says, oh, yeah, but you guys had that parade. It's like, yeah, you only say that because we're kicking your ass now. Like it's like when Michigan fans pull the the series record. Oh, well, we're still up eight games in the series or whatever. It's like, yeah, all those games happened for you were live. What happened? <laughs> sa- what happened Saturday? Right. You got your ass kicked again. Like it's it's just a way of deflecting. So three or four years from now, I'll be happy to hear about this parade because that means the Browns are doing better. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would love to see the day, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess my I, whole thing I, with I it. Have a, I have a ballsy prediction for you. Sure. Really ballsy. Within five years, the Browns will be the best team in the AFC North. <whistles> really? I got it. I said it. Mark it down. All right. Well, here's hoping they're dressed better by then. Um, oh my God, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I think we've got two more seasons with these uniforms. But, I think uh, mandated, right? Has to. Oh God, brutal. But uh, five, all right, five years. I then. think. I think honestly, I just think when Big Ben retires, they become the best team in the AFC North. He does not have five more years left. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Okay. Inside of five years. I don't think, I don't even, yeah, it might not take the full five years. I just don't think Ben's going to play for five more. And once he leaves, I think we take that spot. Well, I think there are a couple other teams in between us and the Steelers that would like a word, but currently I like your there, optimism. <laughs> currently there are, but for the next two years, Cincinnati's got to deal with Marvin Lewis still, and they'll be the same team. I don't, Flacco's, I just, I can't get a read on Baltimore, man. They're so weird. Like, I didn't even realize they were in the playoff hunt until last week. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. we'll see. I don't know. My, my last I'm thought of the parade. I stand, by it. I stand by it. All right. I, I know what uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go down with that ship, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> although did you see, uh, on Instagram who wants to come back to Cleveland? My oh, prediction a couple seasons ago might come true. A couple seasons late. Your, your guy Terrell Pryor. Easy. My goodness, if that finally comes to fruition after years of hearing about Josh Gordon and Terrell Pryor. You only so many drinks. Uh, just, I would. I would. One, but. That's extremely fair. But, um, no, the only other thing I was going to say about the parade, and I'm, I'm with you, I don't care that much either way, but um, I don't know. There was something about last Sunday's game against the Steelers. I have not watched a whole lot of the Browns this year. It just got beaten out of me, and I'm, for the most part, past the point of caring. But I actually sat down and watched that whole game just out of morbid curiosity to see if they were actually going to go 0-16 because, I mean, there's something obviously historical about that. And I, uh, I mean, part of me wanted, like, is it actually going to get to this point or they're actually going to lose every single game this year? And the other part of me is like, I don't want to see this. And and that part of me is kind of looking at this parade or whatever you want to call it this weekend and saying, I don't want to be reminded of this. You know, it's 2018. That season ended on December 31st. Um, you know, yeah, we're bringing the same coach back. We're, yeah, we're bringing the same god-awful uniforms back. But I think we're going to see a lot of new faces on the field and probably on the coaching staff as well. I think there's going to be some changes here. Uh, I, I want to turn the page and I, I, I don't need any more reminders of how awful these past two years have been. And, and I don't really look at this as anything more than a, you know, just kind of a big reminder in a, in a culmination of all that. 
Yeah, I think that's fair too. I was listening to the game on the radio. God, who knows why? I was driving back from um, Philadelphia, and my wife was asleep. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to put the game on and listen. So I listened to the entire game on the radio. At the end, like hearing it actually be a close game, <laughs> and the sound when, like, I don't know if you heard the radio call of it, but they say that that uh, Coleman caught it. And wait a good two seconds before realizing he didn't actually catch it. And, like, the defeat in their voices was just, like, it was half, like, misery, half uh, cathartic to them. Like, they were just like, this is fucking over with. Don't care what happens. Like, they were at the point where they just wanted to be done with it. Win or lose, they wanted to be done. Um, Which I can completely understand. I was going to say, I think they speak for all of us. Join the club, exactly. So... The fact that people want to dwell on it for another week in five degree weather, um, that's probably the most confusing part about it to me. Yeah. But whether you think the guy did it for attention or whatever reason, he did raise about 10 grand for the food bank. So can't argue with that too much. Well, lots of frozen foods this weekend then. So, uh, all right. Five minutes on the calves. All right. I was super excited by what I saw from Isaiah Thomas against Portland the other night. I think that's, yeah, I think that's unanimous across uh, the board. I uh, didn't know what we were going to get in the first game, um, but uh, he lit it up. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I knew he could score and uh, in various ways. I was not expecting to see him uh, distribute as well as he did. Um, he threw some dimes that, uh, that was exciting. And, uh, I think it was also exciting to see the different ways of the different lineups uh, that he was getting mixed in there with. So I think I had heard that, you know, when the Cavs play again on Saturday, I think he's going to be starting. So, um, you know, kind of getting closer to going, you know, full speed and full go here. Uh, once you get those minutes restrictions lifted and and everything else uh, in the back-to-backs and whatnot, uh, but pretty exciting stuff. Um, the other interesting surprise with that was how rejuvenated Jay Crowder looked playing next to him, and, and those two guys worked a two-man game right away. Uh, first time, I think, down the floor with that uh, once IT got into the game. Um, and, you know, it was even more readily apparent when Crowder went MIA last night in Boston um, when Isaiah sat. So uh, that was the good, I guess, uh, of the past few nights of the Cavs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the IT stuff was obviously awesome. I think he looked a lot fresher than people expected, a lot sharper. Wasn't nearly as much. I, he said, you know, there was going to be rhythm issues. Um it didn't seem that apparent. It wasn't glaring by any means. Obviously, he didn't. He only played what seventeen, eighteen minutes, something like that. Um, but what you saw, it had to be. If you had high expectations, they should be met. If they, if you expected much more than that, you're probably unrealistic. Um, even you know, even the most optimistic of people probably was still satisfied and pleased with what they saw. So, um, on that front, great. Follow it up the next night. Yeah, they got the doors blown off in Boston, but you could see within five back, minutes back on the road. You knew what was going to happen. No, I mean the Cavs. Shout out to the NBA, by the way, for scheduling here. That, that, that's a real solid effort. Um, 
Boston yeah, has yeah. three three days off at home coming into that game. The Cavs are just off a West Coast trip. They come home for one game before immediately going back out on the road again for the second night of a back-to-back. And I think NBA teams will tell you when they are on the road for an extended period of time and get one home game in the middle, it's basically like another de facto road game yeah, along the way. to settle in. Yeah, and now you got Disney on ice coming this weekend, so the Cavs are going to continue to be on the road for the next week and a half. Um, brutal part of the schedule. And had those new rules about uh, players being required to dress and play in national TV games, you know, had that not gone into effect, I, I would not have been entirely shocked if some people might have sat last night besides Isaiah. Um, but you could just see right off the bat they look flat and not real interested in, in getting to the 50-50 balls, and, and nobody was shooting particularly well. So um, that that game was a schedule loss more than anything else. And, yeah, just it was, as I was saying before, with bad scheduling, I mean, it just kind of sucks. I mean, the Cavs only get Boston three times this year. The first one is on opening night when nobody's really sure of what they are or who they've got, and teams are still trying to figure it out, especially after a shortened preseason. And the second matchup, you know, is – awful timing wise for all the reasons I just laid out. So uh, kind of disappointing that, that we're not getting uh, things synced up a little bit better for these meetings with the Celtics here in the regular season. Yeah. Um, it didn't really sink in with me during, after the, uh, after the first game um, I was sitting there just, you know, sorry, I just had sort of had post game on in the background and I was doing a little bit of work and like listening to what they were saying. And I looked at the clock and it's like, I don't know, it's probably 11 o'clock, 11, 15. And one of the guys on TV is like, yeah, so the, he just kind of like slipped it in as a note. It's like, so the Cavs are now going to get on a plane uh, right now after the game and fly to Boston. I'm like, yeah, there's no way they're going to win tomorrow. Right. Like it doesn't, it, you don't really think, I think you think about it and like, oh, they're flying private and they're doing all this stuff and like, it's easy. But when it hits you, it's like, they don't have, they can't get any sort of like comfortable schedule with like sleep and all the other shit they have to do. Like no, I mean, and the track record of the Cavs in second games of back-to-backs in recent years. is not good to begin with. Right. I'll say it kind of bears out everything that you're saying here. So, yeah. So when, when you think about it, it's like, God, if I just got done playing a game, I got to clean up, go hop on another plane, get driven to the hotel, try to get to sleep right away. I don't know about these guys. They might be used to it by now, but I can't do that. I can't fall asleep like right away like that. You're, you know, they might not get to sleep till four in the morning, five in the morning. Like how it's just, it's a weird, it's hard to get your body. Like I think situated to that sort of stuff. And it's sort of sunk into me a little bit more. What really goes into it when it, when when I was like sitting there ready to go to bed and they're all like, yeah, they can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you're right. scheduling gods didn't do any favors there no and i, didn't, and I know they do themselves any favors because that's a game that they should want to feature and they should want both teams to be up for you know right i mean there's only a handful of regular season nba games that have any real juice um especially i think with as top heavy as the league has gotten and you kind of blow it like that scheduling wise that kind of sucks but um so yeah I, i'm not real worried about anything that we saw last night although i will say there are a couple of trends that I'm not full blown pushing the panic button on, but I'm not real thrilled with at the moment. Um, JR, uh, I, I think has become kind of a, a cult hero and a 
a fan favorite here in Cleveland, and obviously he did some great things the first couple of years he was here. Last year, I think, was rough for a lot of reasons off the court, and everybody kind of gave him a pass. Um, this year, though, it's not great. His shooting numbers are down across the board, um, and the thing that concerns me even more is uh, defensively, um, he's noticeably slipped. I, I think, you know, when... That trade went down initially that brought him here. It was him and Shumpert. Everything, everybody was kind of hyping Shumpert as being this great defensive stopper. And what we've seen for the most part since then is that JR has been head and shoulders better than him at both ends of the floor. And I'm not saying Shumpert's necessarily gotten any better. I mean, he's missed most of this year with injuries of his own, but um, JR is not defending the way he has been. I think I saw something to the effect of there's one, some advanced metric that had him as like the worst defensive guard in the NBA at this point in the year. Um, I don't know, make it that what you will, but that's not real great. And uh, the second unit is not nearly what it had been prior to Tristan returning. No, it's really not. I think it's hard to say because Tristan's given you a lot of quality minutes over the years, but it's drastically worse with uh, Tristan as opposed to Channing Fry out there. Right, and I, I think it's more a function of who they are, I mean, what what their games are, and, and what skills they bring, and, and how they complement the guys around them. I mean, for what that group assembled needed, and, and has needed this year, I think Channing's skill set fits that a lot better. And um, the one thing I'll give credit to Ty Lue for is it seems like he'll be willing to try things for a while and give it every chance in the world to succeed before he'll pull the plug. Sometimes he'll pull it faster than others. I mean, we saw Dwayne Wade get the courtesy start for the first couple weeks of the season before he finally put JR back in there. And um, I think we all kind of knew that if Dwayne Wade was going to be successful here, it was going to be coming off the bench to anchor the second unit. Although I think what he's actually done since he settled into that role has been Everybody is good, if not better than anything we could have expected at this point in his career. Uh, he's been fantastic. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Tristan and that second unit. I'm kind of wondering if there gets to be a point where eventually he gets moved in with the starters and Jay Crowder gets moved into the second unit or some other uh, shuffling gets done because I don't really feel like Channing Fry deserved to completely lose his spot in the rotation and the other guys that he was playing with kind of have seen things slump as a result of his absence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hundred percent. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen obviously, but I, I, I'm with you. I like that Tyloo has, he's been willing to do those things and tinker a bit to see what works and what doesn't. Um, we'll find out what that is. But and I'm with you. I think they need to do something with that that second unit. Yeah, I mean that, and that's really what the regular season's for, especially if you're the Cavs. I I think you know they've kind of proven over the years they like tinkering and they like trying to do some different stuff and figure out what works. And if it costs them a game or two here or there, they don't really care that much. But all right, um, you know, good little road trip coming up for them here. They Saturday at Orlando. I'm looking at this Monday at Minnesota. Then they get a couple days off before a back to back at Toronto and Indiana. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think this is a tough month for them. Um, a lot of, a lot of travel here on the first half of the month and the first game back after that road trip is golden state here. So, 
buckle up. But uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Any other yeah. ca- any other Cavs thoughts here? Uh, no, that's kind of it for now. I think we're good. I'm, 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 I think I'm just excited to see, get a little more of a glimpse from Thomas, see what he can do, see how consistently he can do it. Um, and see how those, uh, see how those minutes, as the minutes increase, can he keep up with it? But beyond that, no, not really. It's fun with him. I mean, he's a guy we've seen very animated on the bench and seems like one of these guys that's been really well liked by his teammates for the most part, from what we can see on the outside and, and just, seems to have that good personality and everybody in Boston vouched for him, I think. And, uh, you know, to see him coming through after this long, slow rehab and, and actually break out and have a great game to start. Uh, it's real exciting. So I'm, I'm with you. Let's see what he can do. All right, man. I think that's a good spot to close up shop. What do you say? Yeah, do it. All right. Well, as always subscribe on Apple podcasts, Google Play or Stitcher, go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter at The Nail Podcast, and uh, you can always listen to our episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com, and of course on waitingfornextyear.com. For Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.